We'll wait for the uh, last uh, the last coffee drips as they drip into the cups of coffee. If you open up your Bibles to uh, Mark, the last last chapter, Mark chapter sixteen. going to be preaching and teaching today about the resurrection. The reason that we are I'll wait. What we desperately need in our uh, world is divine intervention. If God does not intervene, if God is not alive, if he is not working today, then there is really no point in this whole thing. What we are here for is the intervention of God. We are not just a group of people trying to figure out who God is and each one of us has our own opinion and somehow we all add to this discussion. Recently I've been reading some of the Greek philosophers and the question is when it comes to what they say and how they advise people, The question at the end of the discussion is, who says and who cares? Who says that this is right? Who who is the one that finally and ultimately says this is what we must follow? That is, that's the question. What we don't need is just another opinion. An opinion is not about truth. It's just whatever we happen to, whatever we happen to uh, think. But what we need is God coming from the outside and invading his own world, speaking to us clearly and interacting with us so that we can say, we know that God is alive. We know that he's at work. We know that he's moving because we have seen him. We have borne witness to his word. We understand the fact that God has come down God has opened up hearts and God has drawn us to himself in the midst of this dark world. And this world is dark. And sometimes we are asking ourselves the question, where is God? God, where are you? Lord, we've been looking for you and we're going through a situation Right now in our life, Lord, we're, we're looking for you to intervene. And God, we've prayed. Perhaps you're even going through something right now in your own life. There is a, there is a situation right now in your life where you are, just, you are saying to yourself, Oh God, would you intervene in my life? Lord, would you, I have, I have prayed and I have brought this before you. 
And yet, instead of uh, things seeming to get better, things only actually seem to get worse. And the temptation is to say, God, God must not care. God must not be working in this situation. Perhaps the sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in one's life seems rather distant. Somebody's just saying, God, God seems so far removed. I know he's there. I believe in his existence. But what is, what is he doing? What is he doing in this situation? It almost, it almost seems, some could say, it almost seems like God is against them. God has not only become aloof and distant, but God is actually working against the person who's even believing and crying out to him. And believers can get into that place of going, God, there is darkness in my life. It's not just, um, it's not just a matter of, of opposition. It's not just a matter of different regular tough things that happen in everybody's life. But Lord, this is, this is overwhelming. Lord, I've been looking for your word and your presence to intervene. I've been crying out to you, but now as I'm in the midst of this situation, one could say as I'm in the midst of the situation, I'm asking myself, Lord Jesus, will you please move? Will you show yourself strong? Where are you in the midst of all of this? The Lord has not only promised us um, tough times in our life, but also dark times. Spiritually dark times are going to come into the life of every believer. They're going to move in. Not the dark times of sin. Not, Not somebody just giving over to rebellion, but we're talking here about demonic attacks. We're talking about situations that just will not seem to go away. Things that just will not seem to turn around. Things in one's life that simply don't make any sense. And many believers experience this. Relationships. All sorts of different issues in interpersonal relationships. Issues in family. Issues at church. Issues at job. Everywhere. And a Christian can get to the point of going, God, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing here. And the choice becomes a person can become bitter against God in those times and begin to say, God must not really care. God must have abandoned me. God must have turned his back on me. God must not be working through this. God must be doing something that is just not for me. Or a person can begin to say, Lord, even though I don't understand any of this, and it has been ongoing. Lord, I know you're for me. Lord, I know that you're still at work in the midst of this situation, even though I can't see it right now. And even though one says, I I can't see it for six months, I I can't see it for a year, and I can't see it for a decade, and I can't see it for two decades and three decades and on. Lord, I know you're still at work. I know you're still good. I know that you're still moving because... Lord, you've promised that you're just and that you're, you're kind. And Lord, in the midst of this, help me to bow my knee before you. Help me to be like Job and say, Lord, even though you slay me, I'll follow you. No matter what you do in my life, God, I'll, I'll come before you with trust. 
Lord, help me not to curse you or to turn against you, but Lord, help me to turn toward you in the midst of what you're doing in ways that I simply don't get. Lord, help me to turn to you. Lord, in these moments, don't, don't allow me to turn my back on you. Have you turned your back on God lately? Have there have been situations in your life you just go, I don't, I don't understand it. And so you begin to turn your back on God and you say, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to listen anymore. He must, not be, he must not be working on my behalf. He must not be as kind as people say he is. Or maybe he's really kind, but he's kind and he's loving to those people over there. Surely, I mean, who am I? He must, he must not be thinking of me. And the danger is, is to get hard and to get silent and to turn our back on God instead of dropping to our knees and saying, God, I don't understand any of this, but Lord, I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. Lord, I'm going to take hold of you by prayer. And even if there are times I don't even sense your presence, God, give me the fortitude. Give me the strength to continue in the midst of this. I remember a pastor saying that some of the scariest times in his life were when he couldn't sense the presence of God. It wasn't, it wasn't that he was sinning. It wasn't that he was doing anything wrong. It was just there was a, a dry season in his life where he would pray and it just felt like he wasn't quite connecting. He knew God is listening. God's always listening to us. God always listens to his children. But there are times when even Christians, there are times when you, Christian, are going to pray and it's going to feel like you're just praying and you're not really sensing like you're connecting with the Lord. And it's in those times that we need to pray, oh God, lead me not into temptation. God, help me in the midst of those times not to fall into sin. As I was going through my uh, notes from uh, previous sermons, I happened to flip to a page where it said, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? Now, if somebody is sinning and they feel distant from God, the first thing that they need to do is take care of that sin in their life or perhaps they're going to continue to feel like that. The person who says, well, I'm going to just continue hard-heartedly in my sin and I'm not going to repent, they shouldn't, they shouldn't expect to feel a deep connection with the Lord in those times. But there are times when a person is like Job, evaluating their life and they're going... God, I don't understand your ways here. God, I know that there's always things in my life that need to, to be worked on and to be changed, but God, I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm wondering where you're at in the midst of all of this. And so there are, there are people who say, instead of turning to God, I've been so hurt. People say, people even talk about their childhood. I've been so hurt in my life. Where was God during that whole time? I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in ministry who have given heart-wrenching stories. And then the question becomes, where, where is God in the midst of all of this? And the danger, we're in, the, we're in a danger zone in those moments where we say, well, God just might not be moving because it's all about feelings. It's all about feelings. And all of a sudden, we're listening to the wrong voice. We're listening.
listening to the wrong people. We're listening to the wrong messages. We're starting to believe things that are not from God, but are from the enemy. Yeah, where is God? If God really cared about you, you would never be in this kind of situation. Where's God in his power today? If God were so powerful, why isn't he doing A, B, and C? If he's really God, why doesn't he do that? All of a sudden we'd be going, going, yeah, yeah. And so there are these, there are these dark times that come into the believer's life. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, um, the worldling blesses God while he gives him plenty. But the Christian blesses him when he smites him. Has God smitten you? Has God smitten you recently? What has that caused? So what he says here is that the Christian blesses him, that is he blesses God when he smites him. He believes him, the Christian believes him to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. Lord, in the midst of this, I believe that you're too wise to err. You never err. And Lord, I believe that you're always kind. Always. He goes on to say, he trusts him where he cannot trace him. Look up to him in the darkest hour and believe that all is well. A preacher who had some influence on the songwriter, Babby Mason and Eddie Carswell in 1989, from thoughts from this sermon, they wrote the line, so when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When you, when you can't see the plan, what is God doing? When you, you, you're looking at life and you're saying, I'm not, I'm not getting any of this. I, I, don't, I don't get this situation. When you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, Lord, how are you moving in my life? I don't know. I don't know where this thing is going. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. So we get to the place where we just say to the Lord, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I, I come to you with, with knees bowed, and Lord, I'm asking you to deliver me from temptation you can do in my life, and your plan is always righteous, your plan is always good, it's always right in the, in the darkest time. I remember one time reading about John Owen, the great pastor. I believe his wife had 17 miscarriages. are you, Lord? Where are you? And if there was ever a dark moment, the darkest moment of all was as these ladies were standing there watching Christ as he had bowed his head on the cross and he had given up his spirit. And they did not understand They weren't like having a little Bible study going, well, just turn with me to Ezra and we're going to explain exactly what this thing means. They're standing there. They had no understanding. They could not see that this was the substitutionary atonement of our Lord. 
that he was giving himself on behalf of sinners. They trusted him and the criminal on the cross trusted him and the centurion had trusted him, but they didn't have a full understanding. This is the wrath of God being delivered upon the Son of God in our place. This is a a tragic moment, but it's the greatest moment of history as well because instead of me dying and going to hell, our Lord Jesus Christ is taking our hell for us on the cross. That was not fully understood to them. And yet here in the midst of this awful moment, the Lord is working his greatest plan of all time in the death of his own son. They did not have a full understanding of the atonement and they could not see the resurrection. They did not understand, even though they had been told and even though the other disciples had been told that Christ would rise again on the third day and had never gotten through and they couldn't understand how the Lord was going to turn this whole situation that seemed so awful and so dark. How was the Lord working in the midst of all of this? How is he going to turn this thing around? They did not have the spiritual vision for that. In fact, they didn't understand how the prophetic word of Isaiah chapter 61, if you go back with me to Isaiah chapter 61, was going to be fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. If you remember in this text, the Lord had used this. And what a, what a day of rejoicing that would have been as the listener in the synagogue was listening to our Lord read this text and then say, today it is being fulfilled in your midst that this was about him. But how is this all going to work out if this is about him as he's now hanging there dead on the cross? But listen to what Jesus had said, Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So there is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that has come upon Jesus. And without preaching that is anointed by the Holy Spirit, it's of no value at all. So when Jesus walked and talked in his ministry, when he taught, he was teaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So whenever we are teaching the words of God, whenever we are helping others to understand the word of God, the idea is that we say, Lord, anoint your words here. Holy Spirit, come and drive these things home. And when there is anointing, that is the Holy Spirit's work, there is a wide sense of God is here. God's presence is here. This is not just a lecture. This is not just a teaching. This is, God is here, the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us, and he's moving and he's changing us. And even as we're listening to the word of God, our hearts feel freer and freer. We leave here as we hear the word of God being preached and we say, the Holy Spirit met us here today. And so when Jesus is preaching, he is preaching underneath the Holy Spirit's power to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So this is Jesus. Where, where is Jesus ministering? He's ministering to the poor. He's ministering to the outcast. He's ministering to those who feel like there's no more hope in this life. And he's preaching and he's teaching underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. Captives are being set free. Mary Magdalene was set free. Here she is with no more demons. Seven demons cast out of her. She's free. Free as a bird. Her joy is now going into the heavens. She's thanking Jesus for all that he has done for her. And yet the very man who set her free and gave her joy like she had never experienced in her life, that man is now dead. So the question becomes, how does this work? He has... He has healed those who are brokenhearted, but he's dead. Where's God? And so there are are some who say, well, God ministered to me back then. I remember so clearly. Lord, I remember when I sensed your presence back then, but now. Lord, it was 10 years ago, it was 20 years ago, it was six months ago. Lord, you met me in such a profound way, and I was so excited for you. Mary Magdalene, in this case, delivered from demonic possession. Excited about the things of the Lord. And now one who is so excited, one who is so freed in the presence of the Holy Spirit, is now going, wow, that sure seems like a distant memory. I I remember back to when the Lord did those things, way back then. What's he doing now? Where's where's his presence now? Where is his work in my life now? Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them, here it is, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. What did they do when they were upset and sorrowful? throw ashes on themselves and weep. So instead of ashes, a beautiful headdress, the Lord's going to do that. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Oh, the times that come out of those mourning times. The Lord says, it's enough. You don't have to be sad anymore. I've come here to give you joy and I've come here to give you happiness, true happiness. Jesus would teach about that. Happy are those in the Sermon on the Mount. Happy are those. It's the same word for blessed. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Happiness. So the Lord comes in and he wants to give us true, genuine happiness. He wants to exchange the sorrow of the night for the joy of the morning. To comfort all those who mourn, the beautiful headdress in verse 3 instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Oaks of righteousness. Oh Lord, come in and set us free so we can praise you. Hands raised, unashamed of what other people are thinking. Coming in, not because we're trying to put on a show before other people. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we're too, we call it, we called it dignified worship, sophisticated worship. Well, I'm, I'm not going to raise my hands and make a fool of myself. Raise my hands and clap. No, 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 that's, that's undignified. Usually that's an indicator of pride. 
So we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, uh, you have made me not only a soul, but you have also given me a body. And God, with, uh, with my body, I'm going to praise you. Lord, everywhere we look in the scriptures, we see godly men and godly women praising you with their body. We think of David praising the Lord in his underwear. We think of uh, the Lord Jesus in Hebrews as he, with loud cries, called out to his father. This was not some subdued form of worship, but this was worship with the whole being and the whole man. But the question is, how is this going to be fulfilled? How is it that they are going to have joy instead of mourning when Christ is now dead? His body has been now taken down. If you go over to Mark chapter 16, there's not much hope here. So when the Sabbath had passed, the Sabbath was on Saturday, so they had to wait through most of Saturday, what we would call Saturday, to do anything. They waited throughout the night. And in the early morning, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, that is the one who had been delivered, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, we know that that is the Lord's aunt. They bring spices. Now, the Jews don't embalm So they're adding extra spices here so that the Lord's body doesn't stink. Nicodemus had already done some of this, but they they loved the Lord. They wanted to say their final goodbyes. This is it. They're going to the tomb. They're probably going to have a deep cry as they look over the Lord and they think about all of the things that he has done for them. The way that he has set them free. The words of eternal life that he had given them. He had, he had taught with such profound power. They had never heard anybody teach like this man before. They had never heard anybody preach like this. The way that he interacted with children. The way that he had elevated women. And women were so degraded in that society. They, they owed everything to the Lord. This was a revolutionary figure, but he was a beautiful figure. He was a beautiful man, strong and decent, just and righteous, holy and winsome was the Lord. They'd never seen anybody like this. And so they're going to not embalm him. That's not what they're going to do, but they're going with more prepared spices so that they might anoint his body. And so they go on the first day, Sunday. By the way, there's a reason we celebrate every Sunday, and it's because of the miracle that's about to take place. Every Sunday for 2,000 years, Christians gather around in churches all over the world. And in every tribe, in every tongue, with every color, with all sorts of different nationalities and beautiful languages, all sorts of different customs, people right now in our time zone... And in the other time zones, on their Sunday morning, Christians gather around to praise the Lord for what he is doing here in this text. And so they go very early in the morning when the sun had risen. Now that's interesting. When the the sun had risen, he could have just said early in the morning and 
gone on, they went to the tomb and the, the sun had risen. Could it be that the Lord God gives us a daily reminder of this center of all of history, the resurrection? That every day when we get up and we think about the sun rising, is it possible that the Lord caused the earth to revolve around the sun in such a way that every morning when a person gets up, they have a reminder of the true sun? That's the question. Is it, is it possible that God created the sun to radiate the glory of Christ so that we see the resurrection power, not just once a week, but every day of the week? And listen, Jesus is not just a, a little candle, but he's this blazing, radiant sun. And so... One of the favorite things I I love to do, and I I don't do it often, but I love seeing the sun set, and I love seeing the sun rise. I remember uh, as a boy growing up in the Midwest, it was flat where I grew up. So on both occasions, you could see very clearly as the sun would sink down into the land in the distance. Such a beautiful thing. Of course, around here we have the beautiful hills and the the mountains, those kind of things that I did not have as much of as a child. But to be able to see in the the flatlands, the sun as it sinks down into the ground, and then early in the morning to see that sun coming up, life, warmth, joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we have... uh, the night of morning. God, where are you? Are you are you powerful enough? This isn't just a bad situation, Lord. This is death. And the Lord says, hmm, I'm going to create the world in six days. And I know someday I'm going to send my son into the world. I'm going to send my son into the world. Who is the light of the world. The radiant center of the universe. And God, who knows everything before he even created time and before he created space. Now, he's thinking to himself, and of course, we're using this in man-made terms, but he's thinking to himself. He doesn't have to think to himself. We're, we're just saying that. That's what we would be doing. How can I create a reminder of how profound the glory of Jesus Christ is in creation? And so he, he causes the sun to sit in our solar system and our earth to rotate around the sun and daily for us to be reminded of the beauty of Christ. Listen, that is not by chance. That is not by accident. And it's not by accident that here in Mark chapter 16, it says as the sun is rising or after the sun had risen, they're going to the tomb. This is This is all pointing to Jesus Christ. There was night, but now it's time for the sun. The sun is rising, and what they don't realize is the very physical sun that is rising in the sky is a picture, a distant shadow. The radiance of the physical sun, listen, the radiance of the physical sun is nothing compared to the radiance of the glory of the light of Jesus Christ. And so they go to this this tomb. By the way, if you turn with me to Malachi chapter 4, 
Malachi chapter 4. Verse 1, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Talking about light here. So says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Here it is, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness. What a beautiful passage. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Who is, who is this talking about? What, what, is, what is this talking about? This is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. What a beautiful text. So whenever we think about the Lord, we think about the light. We think about healing. We think about life. If you go with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light, and in the Greek, and in him is no darkness, no way. No darkness at all. So here it is. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness, no way. He's completely light. He is the son of righteousness. So God is light, and in him is no darkness. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here it is again, though. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here are these ladies. They're going as the sun has been rising, verse 3. They had started out when it was dark. And they're saying to one another in verse 3, Who will roll the stone away? For us from the entrance of the tomb. They, are, they, they know that uh, this is a big, heavy stone. And if it has come down this decline, they have to figure out a way to push it back up the hill a little bit because they would roll it down into place. And then once it was in place, you'd have to have a few men, more than even one man, come and push this big uh, circular disc of a stone. You'd have to uh, have them help push that thing back up uh, the incline. So that's what they're asking. Okay, we're going to anoint the body of Jesus with these spices. We're going back to give our final goodbyes to the Lord. 
But the question is, how are we going to get this big stone? They didn't even have a plan. They just knew that they wanted to go. Sometimes somebody just set out. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I just know I need to do this, and we're going to figure it out as we go. That's exactly what they were doing. So when we get there, hopefully there will be somebody there to help us, or maybe we can grab some men along the way, or maybe possibly all of us can push this thing up. They're just trying to think of how, how in the world are they going to roll this, this stone away. They were in for quite a surprise intervention here. As they get to the tomb, they look up, verse 4, and they see that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So the scripture wants us to know that this isn't like a little stone, like they could just go, okay, uh, let's move this, and then pop the key in, whatever, and turn the door and go in. No, no, this is, this is a massive stone that they have to roll away. They get to the tomb, and the stone is already rolled out of place so that they can see into the opening. And entering the tomb, so they would have to, this, this tomb would have been hewn out of the rock, so they would have to stoop down and, and go into this, this chamber. They see that the stone is rolled away. Verse 4, and looking up, they see that the stone has been rolled back. It was very large in verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. So we know that this guy is an angel. The question is, what is going on here? Now, sometimes when we read this, and by the way, whenever we get to Easter Sunday... The question is, how are we going to try to make this thing really exciting? Sometimes I actually dread Easter Sunday. Can I just be frank with you? Because the question is, how are we going to fire everybody up and get really excited about the resurrection? I don't know if you ever feel like that. I, I do as a preacher. You know, We're going to go get excited. I'm so thankful for this text because that's not how this works. They don't get to the tomb and all of a sudden, doo, 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 you know, five horns uh, come out, a big band playing, marching band, choir on top of the rock, lights coming from everywhere. Then all of a sudden they're clapping and rejoicing and dancing around. Can you imagine? That's kind of depressing. And by the way, sometimes if you go to a play and it's kind of like that, you kind of kind of go, yeah, I want to get excited, but it's kind of hard to get excited for that. It's kind of like, well... They had to process things. Listen, Jesus was really dead. They're really going to anoint his body. They're really trying to figure out how they are going to get this stone away. And then all of a sudden they get there and they stoop into the tomb and here is a man dressed in white. This is all shocking. This is an instant time for dancing and celebration. This is stunning. This is alarming. What is going on here? Not everything clicked at once. It wasn't just, oh yeah, now we get it. That's right. I know I remember. Remember that, Mary? Yeah, Mary. And then all, all of them are calling each other Mary because there was a lot of Marys. And so they're all like, Mary, Mary. And they're trying to, in fact, I think there was a band, Mary, 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 or something like that. Anyway, there's a lot of Marys there. And they're all getting confused. No, that's not how it worked. You go in there and they're stunned. And it's an angel who announces the gospel. If you remember at the beginning of Jesus' 
life, his birth, it was angels who announced that he was coming into the world. Remember that? Luke chapter 2. Flip with me over there. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Luke chapter 2. And there's some shepherds out in the field. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. And this will be a sign for you. You will find baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now notice this. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts or a multitude of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom it is well pleased. So here it is, a group of angels, angels announcing his birth. It's angels here announcing the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead it's angels and by the way it's it's um it's angels who are going to carry us to the lord's side when we die so the angels according to hebrews are ministering spirits and there's angels even today and it's quite possible that you have interacted with an angel not even knowing it that's what hebrews also says and there are angels that guard your house and there are angels that take care of you. Now, there's big debate. Do we each have a guardian angel? We don't know. But we do know that angels are ministering spirits. And there are many times in our lives where we must be convinced, to, according to the scripture, that it's angels who are protecting us at the Lord's bidding. And it's angels who are looking out for us and preventing things to happen in our lives. So they go in, they're looking here in this tomb, and there is a young man sitting on the right side. Go with me, we close with this. It says in verse 6, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, where he's from, who was crucified. So he's telling them, I know exactly who you're looking for. I understand. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. He's not there. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Specifically Peter. Go tell Peter, the one who denied him. Go tell him. He's going to restore him. The Lord loves him. So go tell the disciples and go tell Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There he will see you just as he told you. Now still the reaction is stunned. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. They don't even know what to believe at this point. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, at least initially. And they were afraid. So here we have in Mark, we have these ladies... Mary Magdalene, by the way, we don't have time to get into it, unfortunately, but she's already left here and has run to tell Peter and John. 
But you have ladies here who are alarmed, trembling, astonished, and afraid. And the reaction here is that they flee. All this does is just show us how true this is. This is shocking. The Lord's not in the tomb. An angel's sitting there. He's not here. He has risen. And later he would prove himself. And he would say, Mary, she would turn around and recognize it was him in stone. He would say, Thomas, why, why did you doubt? Why don't you look at my hands, feel my hands and my side and my feet. Watch me eat fish. He would prove himself for 40 days. For 40 days he would prove the fact that 2,000 years ago a man named Jesus came and he died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. And listen, today he's proving himself over and over again. That's why we're here that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? He's alive. And so we worship him, we praise him because of the fact that he's revealed himself to us, that what this says is absolutely true. This is the core message of the whole Bible, that we are saved by grace, and that grace is Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Would you stand with us as we close? If I could ask the band to come forward, please. And while they're coming forward, let's, um, let's just ask the Lord's uh, blessing in our hearts. Father, we thank you for this message of truth. This message of truth that Christ has come to set the captive free. Speak to us, we pray. I want to give the opportunity, not because there is one, I don't know if there is one, but just for the opportunity, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've come in here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never, this is not, this is not for a second time or third time, this is not a rededication, but for the first time in your life, you're saying to yourself, I need to repent of my sins and believe that Jesus Christ came for me. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, I need Jesus for the first time. Is there one here? Okay, with that said, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in our lives. And we bless your name for Jesus' sake. Amen.